0: Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, The Success Alchemist. You can find me at the thesuccessalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com, Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, The Success Alchemist, Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw, Telegram UK, sorry, US UK Patriot, and on true social, Success Alchemist. Today is the 9th of July 2022 and the title of today's show is Georgia Guidestones Destroyed, Abe Shenzo Assassinated, UK Government Falls and Farmers Revolt. So quite a monumental week if you'll pardon the pun with so much happening and I'm going to start with the Georgia guidestone stories and I must say the the White Hats the Patriots are really seeing this as very significant because as you'll uh, if you don't already know you soon will um, it really lays out the New World Order agenda um, and there's a lot of mystery surrounding who actually um, paid for this monument to be constructed so I'm going to start with the Vigilant Citizens Report, the Georgia Guidestones Completely Demolished Following Explosion. This was published on July 7th. The Georgia Guidestones are no more. The massive structure was completely torn down following a massive explosion. Here's a look at the legacy of this controversial landmark. Dubbed America's Stonehenge, the Georgia Guidestones formed a mysterious landmark In Elberton, Georgia, made of four massive slabs of granite, the Guidestones contained ten, in quotes, commandments for a new, again in quotes, age of reason. My 2010 article, Sinister Sites, The Georgia Guidestones, explained in great detail the meaning of these commandments and the occult clues left behind by its anonymous authors. The ten guides were engraved in eight different languages and alluded to several topics dear to the world elite, such as a world court, a world language, and the guiding of human reproduction. However, it was the very first guide that made the stones so controversial. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. In order to obtain a population of less than 500 million, humanity needs to be reduced by about 93%. For this reason, the Guidestones were believed to be concrete proof of the elite's fixation with massive depopulation. Throughout the years, the landmark attracted lots of attention from those who revered it and those who hated it alike. Indeed, the monument was a site of strange rituals and gatherings of pagan and occult groups, often on dates with astronomical significance. It was also the target of acts of vandalism as satanic symbols and messages against the New World Order were spray-painted on the structure on numerous occasions. With that being said, the Guidestones are now history. To the Ground on July 6th at around 4am an explosive device was detonated by unknown individuals and it shows um, close circuit TV footage of the detonation. The blast reduced one of the slabs to rubble and severely damaged the capstone. After the detonation a car was filmed leaving the scene. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation said in a statement that it is investigating the explosion together with the Elbert County Sheriff's Office. A few hours later, the structure was completely demolished due to safety reasons. And there's again a video of the Guidestones being torn to the ground. The Legacy When I first wrote about the Guidestones over 12 years ago, I never thought I would ever witness this massive structure being completely demolished. While the real Stonehenge is still standing after 5,000 years, America's Stonehenge barely lasted 40 years. Some might say that the complete demolition of the Guidestones will only add to its mystery, as the identity of the man who ordered it will be forgotten forever. In 2013, Wyatt Martin, the man who helped broker the arrangement for the monument, said, I made an oath to that man and I can't break that, no one will ever know. With that being said, as stated in my original article about the Guidestones, there never was a mystery about the authors. It was always hidden in plain sight. And it shows an image of the explanatory tablet of the Guidestones. The pseudonym of this mysterious man was R.C. Christian. This is a rather blatant reference to Christian Rosenkreutz the legendary founder of the Rosicrucian Order, also known as the Order of the Rose Cross, with the initials RC, a secret society that greatly influenced world events for centuries. Everything about this monument pointed directly to the occult elite and the secret societies that fuel its philosophy. Although the monument is gone, the ideals behind it are not. They've existed for centuries. However, in the 21st century, things have changed. While the masses used to be completely oblivious about these things, the information age caused a mass awakening. Now, the plans of the occult elite are met with increasing resistance and pushback. Therefore, those behind the guidestones might actually be relieved to see the monument disappear. In an age of misleading and confusing propaganda, the guidestones were too clear, too concise and too damning. The elite's true intentions were literally etched in stone for all to witness. They don't want that anymore. Nowadays, they're looking to hide their true intentions behind several layers of drivel, hogwash and nonsense in order to push the masses back to the dark where they belong. While the monument is gone, sources like the Vigilant Citizen will keep documenting its core message Through these 10 guides, one can understand the true agenda behind most world events. In the end, in a strangely ironic twist, the Guidestones themselves fulfilled their 10th and final commandment. Be not a cancer on the earth, leave room for nature, leave room for nature. The Gateway Pundit also reported on this and um, give a bit more detail about the the Guidestones themselves. Um, This was published on the 6th. Georgia Guidestones Monument bombed at 4am. Structure represents New World Order calls for significantly smaller human population. One of the four outer pillars of the Georgia Guidestones, a Georgia monument located near the South Carolina border, was destroyed Wednesday morning. The monument calls for a New World Order with a vastly smaller human population living in harmony with nature. It is also accused of being a monument to the devil. The Georgia Guidestones 19-foot granite monoliths are inscribed with 10 messages that are etched in stone in eight different languages, including Arabic, Chinese, English, Hebrew, Swahili, Russian, Hindi and Spanish. The messages, known as the Guiding Principles, advocate for population reproduction control, environmentalism and internationalism. The monoliths, which are located 100 miles from Atlanta in the northeast corner of Georgia, were mysteriously erected on March 22, 1980. Also known as the American Stonehenge, they dominate the highest elevation in the northeastern Piedmont section of the state. Authorities are investigating how the monument was reduced to rubble around 4am. Unknown individuals detonated an explosive device, according to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Locals whose homes were shook by the explosion shared photos of the debris near the stones. According to the Guidestones, the following humanity must adhere to the following ten principles to ensure humankind's future survival. 1. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. 2. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. 3. Unite humanity with a living new language. 4. Rule passion, faith, tradition and all things with tempered reason. 5. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Six, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Seven, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Eight, balance personal rights with social duties. Nine, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. 10 be not a cancer on the earth leave room for nature leave room for nature the guide stones also serve as an astronomical calendar and every day at noon the sun shines through a narrow hole in the structure and illuminates the day's date on an engraving according to a description on the state of Georgia's tourism website and that's the end of the article but you know, it, it's a great example of the way that the New World Order, the deep state players, actually put out what appears to be the opposite of their intention to deceive people and make it look so benevolent that everybody would sign up for it. But obviously, the main giveaway is that uh, first guide, which is, re- you know, reducing the population of the earth to only 500 million people when we're now at 8 billion. So it's a lot of people to go. And of course, people that are awake realise that abortion is part of that strategy because it's also um, death cult, um, satanic sacrifice of these unborn children. And also the the COVID-19 vaccine bioweapon, which we know is killing so many people and also disabling so many and probably will cause their premature death as well. So I'm just going to cover one more article on this subject. And this is from Paul Seren, uh, Substack, paulseren.substack.com. And his is called a war blog and the title of the The article is down with the monoliths. Was the levelling of the Georgia Guidestones a symbolic victory against the forces of evil? Yes, but we can't let it become a tactical victory for them. Number one, the day after. We were glad that the Georgia Guidestones were partially destroyed in an explosion and subsequently dismantled for safety reasons. We were glad, and we are still glad it happened, there's no denying it, but we did not instigate it. I do believe it constituted a criminal act. But no one was hurt but the cabal's feelings. Two, what we know. The guidestones were commissioned and paid for. We don't know who. The time capsule buried beneath the structure contains we don't know what. But the message inscribed in these granite slabs was plain to see. It's not rocket science. There's nothing mysterious about it. It was a message of death of eugenics. And it's got a a screenshot of a telegram post from ultra Lives matter. For those who don't know, the Georgia Guidestones arrogantly displayed the cabal's plan satanic by proclaiming that they desired to keep the world population under 500 million. Their plans are coming to ruin and we the people will thrive like never before, Babylon is literally falling. If that doesn't deserve an amen, I don't know what does. Number three, red pill bomb. The press coverage of the bombing of the Georgia Guidestones is a gigantic red pill offer to normies. Most pieces had to make reference to the massive controversy of the monoliths and many talked openly about its alleged satanic nature. There's a screenshot of all the news articles Four, GBI releases images. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation is the agency overseeing this investigation. The GBI released a selection of images of the happenings in the site. And those are included. Um, and it's got a tweet from the, bureau, the GBI. Uh, For safety reasons, the structure has been completely demolished. Number five, red pills and political scapegoating. And this is a screenshot of an article. I'm not sure what um, publication it's from, but it's headed up Trumpland, and the title is Satanic Georgia Tablets Despised by Conspiracy Theorists Bombed. The article goes on, naturally the bombing will be attributed to conservatives, but there's just no way even the biggest mockingbirds can tell their story without including details of the globalist depopulation plan and the Satanist association with the site. Georgia Slabs called satanic by some torn down after bombing, and that's a link to another article. That's given the Guidestones a sort of shroud of mystery around them because the identity and intent of the individuals who commissioned them is unknown, said Katie McCarthy, who researches conspiracy theories for the Anti-Defamation League. And so that has helped over the years to fuel a lot of speculation and conspiracy theories about the Guidestone's true intent. We've seen this with QAnon and multiple other conspiracy theories that these ideas can lead somebody to try to take action in furtherance of these beliefs, McCarthy said. They can attempt to try and target the people and institutions that are at the centre of these false beliefs. And first image emerges of suspect in Georgia Guidestones bomb attack. Again, another link. The video shows an unknown person leaving an explosive device at the Georgia Guidestones, the GBI said. The video is unclear, but agents are still actively working to identify the person leaving the scene after the explosion. This investigation is active and ongoing. The mystery around the origins of the monument, as well as the inscriptions, has fuelled a number of conspiracy theories and claims about their purpose, including that they are satanic. Some have even claimed the attack on the structure was an act of God. As GOP gubernatorial candidate Candace Taylor claimed during her recent campaign, such claims have been spread by conspiracy theorists online. And another link, Georgia prosecutor calls explosion at America's Stonehenge an act of domestic terrorism. A Georgia prosecutor described the apparent targeting of a mysterious monument with an explosive device as an act of domestic terrorism, saying Thursday that the alleged crime was aimed at the county agencies that own the site. The destruction of a public building by explosive is inherently intended to influence the actions of the governing authority that owns the structure. Parks White, the Northern Judicial Circuit, district attorney. The use of violence to sway or alter the behaviour of any government agency is terrorism, said White, whose office would handle a potential prosecution. And there's a screenshot of a Breitbart article. Um, District Attorney Calls Georgia Guidestones Explosion Act of Domestic Terrorism Vows to Prosecute In a Facebook post, White wrote Regardless of your feelings about the origin of the Guidestones Their meaning or the intention of the person who commissioned and erected them They are a historical landmark And this destructive act was an assault upon our community Detonating a massive explosive device capable of shattering a granite tablet in an area surrounded by residences is a criminal act which placed many people in peril of serious injury. The perpetrator of this act will be found and prosecuted. The official code of Georgia annotated section 16-7-88 prescribes using explosive devices to destroy public buildings The Guidestones are officially owned by the Governing Authority of Albert County and any structure open to the public and owned by a subdivision of the state is considered a public building. The penalty for destroying any public building by explosive is a minimum of 20 years in prison without the possibility of parole. After asking for anyone with information relating to the explosions to come forward, he then, on behalf of his office, thanked anyone who is willing to come forward and help successfully prosecute this act of domestic terrorism so that's the end of that one Um, as i said at the beginning it's rather uh, symbolic the destruction of this monument that has um set in stone literally the intentions of the new world order and x-22 commented on this and suggests that potentially um, the assassination of Abe Shenzhou, um, the former prime minister of Japan, was a retaliation by the deep state. Obviously, that's just a a supposition. Um, But he also referenced uh, the cue drops that talk about the shot heard around the world. Now, I don't know quite whether that's the connection. But I'm going to move on now to the assassination of Abe Shinzo. And this article is from Breitbart, and it was published yesterday. And the title is Witnesses onlookers fainted as Japan's ex-Prime Minister Abe Shinzo shot with bazooka-like weapon." Eyewitnesses described Friday's assassination of Japan's former Prime Minister Abe Shinzo as a scene of utter chaos, saying onlookers of the attack fainted in shock as pieces of plastic debris flew off of the still unidentified weapon used to kill him. Abe, Japan's longest-serving Prime Minister, died on Friday in the city of Nara after a man now identified as 41-year-old Yamagami Tetsuya shot him with what Japanese media indicate at press time appeared to be a homemade firearm. Doctors reported that Abe suffered cardiac arrest as a result of wounds in his neck. He was 67 years old. Abe, of the long-ruling conservative Liberal Democratic Party, LDP, left a legacy of advocating for Japan to take on a larger international role, including expanding its minimal defense capabilities and investing in a closer relationship with America. Shortly before his death, Abe spent much of his public time following his resignation in 2020, warning that world must act to contain the threat of Chinese communism and urging America to expand its support for the nation of Taiwan, which China routinely threatens to invade. Chinese media outlets threatened routine military exercises around Japan as recently as Wednesday, in response to the LDP's concerns about Beijing's belligerence. Police have yet to reveal a motive for the shooting at press time, though Japanese newspapers report that Yamagami told police he intended to kill Abe because he was dissatisfied with his political performance. Some reports indicate that Yamagami also gave police other unrelated information – such as a claim that he wanted to kill an unnamed religious leader instead of or in addition to Abe. An unnamed high school student who claimed to watch the events transpire from a nearby building told Japan's Asahi Shimbun newspaper on Friday that the assassin used a weapon that looked like a bazooka and that Abe appeared to continue speaking after first being shot. The shooter, who was wearing a grey-coloured top, took a couple steps back and fired again. Abe then appeared to lose power and fell down, she said, according to Asahi. The student added that some on the scene appeared to faint as others rushed towards Abe to attempt emergency first aid. I thought someone threw a bomb, another unnamed witness told Asahi, describing the loudness of the weapon. The witness observed that local legislative candidates for whom Abe was campaigning were red-faced and sobbing. Speaking to Japan's NHK broadcaster, another anonymous witness reported that the weapon used to kill Abe fell apart as it was being fired, which added to the panic as debris rained down on bystanders. Things like pieces of plastic came flying at me over a crowd of people, they were chunks of plastic, something in the shapes of cylinders. They were about five centimetres long, the witness is quoted as saying. He described the weapon's sound as like a bomb. The Japanese newspaper Mainichi Shimbun cited another eyewitness, a bar owner who gave his name, Yutaka Nita, who described similar scenes of confusion and shock. According to Nitta. Two gunshots were heard from behind Abe about five minutes after he began the campaign speech. The politician collapsed on the ground from a platform immediately after he looked back, according to the Menichi. Some 20 people, including guard officers, were around him at the time. Someone grabbed Abe's microphone and told the crowd, please calm down, to little avail, Nita added. Japan's current Prime Minister, Kishida Fumio, who served as Abe's foreign minister, called Abe's killing absolutely unforgivable in an emotional speech on Friday delivered before doctors confirmed his death. It is a barbaric act during election campaigning which is the foundation of democracy and it is absolutely unforgivable. I condemn this act in the strongest terms, Kishida asserted. I was praying that his life would be saved but despite that I came to learn of his death. Kishida later told reporters, it is truly regrettable. I am lost for words. I offer my sincere condolences and prayers that his soul may rest in peace. And then yesterday, the New York Post uh, followed up with a report on this. The title is Motive in Assassination of Former Japan PM Shinzo Abe, Not Political. The alleged assassin who shot dead Shinzo Abe on Friday believed the former Japanese Prime Minister was involved in a specific organisation and that his grudge wasn't political, police said. The suspected killer, Tetsuya Yanagami, 41, was tackled to the ground just moments after he allegedly opened fire on the 67-year-old former leader as he delivered a campaign speech in the western region of Nara. In an interview with investigators, Yamagami allegedly admitted to plotting to kill Abe because he thought the ex-Prime Minister was connected to an organisation that he bore a grudge against. Police did not reveal the name of the organisation or elaborate on what it believed in, adding it wasn't clear if the group even existed. The alleged assassin's grudge did not appear to be about politics, according to police. Yamagami was calm as he responded to questions during his interview and investigators are still trying to nail down whether he acted alone, police added. The alleged killer was a Nara resident and had worked at Japan's Maritime Self-Defense Forces for three years but now appeared to be unemployed, cops said. Chilling photos and video have emerged that allegedly show Yamagami standing behind Abe just moments before he opened fire with a homemade gun. Abe, Japan's longest-serving PM, had just started delivering a speech when the initial shot rang out the politician could be seen clutching his chest and slowly tumbling to the ground as the second shot was fired yamagami is tackled to the ground by police uh, the image shows guards immediately pinned the gunman to the ground and his black double barreled weapon was spotted nearby abe was pronounced dead around five and a half hours later after being rushed to hospital where he received more than 100 units of blood in transfusions. He bled to death from deep wounds to the heart and the right side of his neck, authorities said. I am simply speechless over the news of Abe's death, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, Abe's protégé, said. This attack is an act of brutality that happened during the elections, the very foundation of our democracy, and is absolutely unforgivable so perhaps once again this may be a, an mk ultra victim who was controlled in order to um revenge the destruction of the georgia guide stones possibly who knows on a more general note um x22 uh, x22 report is repeatedly saying that all the things that we're seeing play out now indicate that the deep state is on the run they're on the defensive um, they have no strategic plan they're just being reactive and to quote Q the hunters have become the hunted and they're not in the winning position and more and more people are now understanding their agenda and especially as the report said people are becoming aware of these Georgia guidestones that they were never aware of before and also of the agenda that is behind them. So lots more red pills. So I'm going to move on to another bombshell this week, and that was um, the resignation of Boris Johnson. And I haven't been following the UK politics very closely. I've been more focused on the US and what Everything that's going on here, and um, just as an aside, I unfortunately was involved in a car accident this week. um, Not my fault, where a car pulled out as I was passing it. It was parked on the shoulder in a little pull-in, and it just pulled out and went straight into the side of me. So I have been somewhat distracted and uh, emotionally upset by by losing my lovely car that I love so much. Um, so I haven't had chance to really um, focus too much of my time on the politics and particularly on what has been going on in the UK. It was my brother who told me uh, that at the time he told me 40 of the Johnson government had resigned, which I wasn't aware of. So I'm going to cover this starting with an article by Just the News And this was published and updated July 7th. The title is British Prime Minister Boris Johnson resigns. A formal announcement by Johnson is expected later Thursday. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson on Thursday resigned from his post after days of resignations from his government left him unable to govern. I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world, Johnson said from outside the Prime Minister's official residence, at 10 Downing Street in London. Johnson, up until Wednesday, was steadfast about remaining as Prime Minister, but he finally agreed to step down after close ally Treasury Chief Nadim Zahawi told him to do so for the good of the country, according to the Associated Press. Zahawi's intervention followed two more members of Johnson's cabinet, recently resigning, along with three junior officials, bringing the number of those who have left the government this week to over 50. I mean, this is quite unprecedented. Johnson will remain as prime minister until a successor is in place, according to the New York Times. The 58-year-old Johnson was able to remain in power for nearly three years amid allegations that he was too close to party donors, misled parliament and was dishonest about government office parties that violate pandemic lockdown rules. However, recent disclosures that Johnson knew about sexual misconduct allegations against Chris Pincher, a Conservative lawmaker, before he promoted Pincher to a senior position appeared to be a final mistake. The Wire Service also reports. Fox News also reports on this, and um, this was again published on the 7th. Why did Boris Johnson resign as UK Prime Minister? Boris Johnson says it is clearly the will of the Conservative Party that he resign. Prime Minister Boris Johnson on Thursday said it was clearly the will of the Conservative Party that he stepped down from the top job following a series of scandals that have plagued his office for years. Johnson, who survived a vote of no confidence just one month ago for a Covid-related scandal that has been dubbed Partygate, was faced with renewed controversy this week after an unprecedented number of Cabinet members and party leaders resigned in protest of his leadership. Members of his party began to call on the controversial Prime Minister to step down after a sexual misconduct scandal arose involving his former Tory Deputy Chief Whip, Chris Pinscher. Pinscher, who was appointed by Johnson in February, resigned on June 30th after he was accused by two men of drunkenly groping them at a Conservative event the night before. The party whip said he drank far too much and had embarrassed myself and other people following the event, reported the BBC. Immediately following his resignation, Downing Street backed Pinscher and said he had acknowledged his wrongdoing and would hold on to his seat in Parliament but he was suspended from the Conservative Party and has been forced to serve as an independent. The issue took a turn for Johnson after a spokesman at Number 10 claimed the Prime Minister was not aware of any other allegations of wrongdoing. Reports later surfaced showing that Johnson was reportedly made aware of a complaint filed against Pinscher during his post as Foreign Office Minister from 2019 to 2020, that involved inappropriate behaviour. The allegations levied at Pinscher were confirmed after a disciplinary process investigated the matter, at which point Johnson and his then Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, were informed, according to the BBC. Downing Street then reversed its position and and said the Prime Minister did know about media reports regarding the allegations but said they had been either resolved or did not progress to a formal complaint. It was in one way concluded in some form. These issues tend to be anonymous, a spokesman told the BBC. On Tuesday, former top Foreign Office civil servant Sir Simon MacDonald revealed that Johnson had not only been made aware of the allegations but was briefed on them in person. Downing Street then claimed the Prime Minister had forgotten about the matter before he instated Pincher to the top job. Johnson later admitted that Pincher's appointment had been a bad mistake, but the damage had been done. Two of the UK's most senior cabinet members, Finance Minister Rishi Sunak and Health Secretary Sajid Javid, quit in protest Tuesday. A wave with more than 40 members of Parliament and their aides along with several other cabinet members handed in their resignations Wednesday after Johnson seemingly refused to step down. The defiant Prime Minister caved to the growing demands for his resignation after one of his closest allies, Treasury Chancellor Nadim Zahawi, publicly resigned Thursday after just 48 hours on the job and called on Johnson to step down for the sake of the country. Johnson is expected to stay in office until until an internal party election can select a new leader, a process that is expected to take place over the summer. So I've always speculated about whether Boris Johnson was deep state or not. Before the COVID um, episode he had, which I guess was back in uh, 2020, He seemed to be very much on the same um, agenda as Trump. In fact, he looked a bit like an English version of Trump with the colour of his hair and everything. But it seemed to change dramatically after that um, COVID hospital stay. And I've said this several times, perhaps many times on the show, that I suspected that he'd been replaced, taken out and replaced with a a deep state ally because it was obvious that he was following the same playbook as Joe Biden over here. You know, all the money being sent to the Ukraine. We've got all the out of control immigration in the UK, just like we have here on the southern border. We've got, um, you know, parallels that go way beyond coincidence, in my opinion. Now on to the next topic, which is the Farmers' Revolt. And I don't usually cover anything from Newsweek, but this is an opinion piece titled A Popular Uprising Against the Elites Has Gone Global, and it was published on the 7th by Ralph Schulhammer, Assistant Professor in Economics and Political Science at Webster University, Vienna. And it reads, a popular uprising of working class people against the elites and their values is underway and it's crossing the globe. There is a growing resistance by the middle and lower classes against what Rob Henderson has coined the, in quotes, luxury beliefs of the elites as everyday folks realize the harm it causes them and their communities. There were early glimmerings last February when the Canadian trucker convoy pitched working class truck drivers against a laptop class, demanding ever more restrictive COVID-19 policies. You saw it as well in the victory of Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, who ran on parents' rights in education and went on to win both suburbs and rural areas. You can see it in the growing support of Hispanic voters for a Republican Party which increasingly identifies as anti-woke and pro-working class. And now we're seeing the latest iteration in the Netherlands in the form of a farmer's protest against new environmental rulings that will ruin them. Over 30,000 Dutch farmers have risen in protest against the government in the wake of new nitrogen limits that require farmers to radically curb their nitrogen emissions by up to 70% in the next eight years. It would require farmers to use less fertiliser and even to reduce the number of their livestock. While large farming companies have the means to hypothetically meet these goals and can switch to non-nitrogen-based fertilisers, it is impossible for smaller, often family-owned farms. The new environmental regulations are so extreme that they would force many to shutter, including people whose families have been farming for three or four generations. In protest, farmers have been blockading streets and refusing to deliver their products to supermarket chains. It's been leading to serious shortages of eggs and milk, among other food items. But the effects will be global. The Netherlands is the world's second largest agricultural exporter after the United States, making the country of barely 17 million inhabitants a food superpower. Given global food shortages and rising prices, the role of Dutch farmers in the global food chain has never been more important. But if you thought the Dutch government was going to take that into account and ensure that people can put food on the table, you would be wrong. When offered the choice between food security and acting against climate change, the Dutch government decided to pursue the latter. What is particularly frustrating is that the government is fully aware that what it is asking farmers to do will drive many of them out of existence. In fact, the government originally planned to move at a slower pace until a lawsuit brought by environmental groups in 2019 forced an acceleration of the timetable. The reaction by members of the agricultural sector has been massive and ongoing since 2019, but the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic allowed the government of Prime Minister Mark Root to ban protests in 2020 and 2021. With the reignited demonstrations this year, the authorities have also switched to a more aggressive approach. There have been arrests and even warning shots fired by police at farmers, one almost killing a 16-year-old protester. Yet the sympathies of the Dutch are not with their government. They are solidly with their farmers. Current polls indicate that the Farmers Political Party, formed just three years ago in response to the new regulations, would gain a whopping 11 seats in Parliament if elections were held today. It currently holds just one seat. Moreover, the Dutch Fishermen's Union has publicly joined the protests, blocking harbours with fishing crews, holding signs that read... Endracht marked cracked, unity creates strength. But while the Dutch people are on the side of the farmers, their elites are behaving much as they did in Canada and the US, and not just those in government. Media outlets are refusing to even report the protests, and when they do, they cast the farmers as extremists. Why the disconnect? Every reliable poll of European newsrooms from Germany to the Netherlands show that climate change is a much more important topic for journalists than it is for ordinary people. It's not that average citizens don't care about climate change, but they have the common sense to know that destroying their farms so the government's emission goals can be met in 2030 instead of 2035 will not change the planet's climate. After all, the Netherlands accounts for just 0.46% of the world's CO2 emissions. And while a further reduction might be desirable, it will not be decisive in combating climate change over the next eight years. It may make the country's elite to feel good about themselves, but it will also result in large parts of the population seeing their living standards decline and their economic existence targeted by the state for ideological reasons. There is a malaise in the West currently where ideological goals are pursued at the expense of the lower middle and working classes. Whether it's truckers in Canada, farmers in the Netherlands, oil and gas companies in the United States, ideology, not science or hard evidence, is dominating the agenda, gratifying the elites while immiserating the working class. Ultimately, there is a risk that climate policies will do to Europe what Marxism did to Latin America. A continent with all the conditions for widespread prosperity and a healthy environment will impoverish and ruin itself for ideological reasons. In the end, both the people and the climate will be worse off. And that's absolutely true. I mean, really, in the articles, in the subjects I'm covering today, you can see how this is all related to what the Georgia Guidestones was all about, this climate change hoax, um is destroying economies look at what biden is doing in the in the u.s and the other example is sri lanka where the economy has collapsed they've got food shortages all because of this um, vain attempt invade attempt to reduce co2 emissions and everything else it's absolutely crazy but um You know, ultimately, they want us to own nothing and be happy. Well, I don't think we're going to stand for this. I think more and more people are waking up to it and are just not prepared to put up with this insanity for much longer. The Gateway Pundit also reports on this. This is more from the front lines. I could be dead now. I want to know why they shot at me. Dutch farmer boy Duke speaks out, displays bullet holes in tractor after attempted assassination by police. This was July 8th, yesterday. Farmers' protests against globalist Great Reset food policies spread to Germany, Italy, Poland and Spain. 16-year-old farmer's son, Duke Hospice, who was shot at by police Tuesday evening despite having turned his tractor away from the police roadblock, Gateway reported, said... I can't believe they shot at me. And it's got a a screenshot of a tweet from Jan de Vries, influencer from the Netherlands, farming, hashtag Burren protest. And it's got a screenshot. It's an image of a tractor with a big sign on the back. And it said, farming, the art of losing money while working 400 hours a month to feed people who think you are trying to kill them. In Italy, a tractor convoy formed to cries of, we're going to Rome. In Warsaw, Poland, thousands of poli- of people protested under the motto, we won't let them rob us. Farmers in Germany parked tractors on overpasses to demonstrate their support of Dutch farmers. In mergic I think that's the pronunciation, Netherlands, Farmers form the words, help, no farmers, no food, out of 400 tractors. Wow, Dutch farmers in Merdijk with 400 tractors positioned on the lawn to make the inscription visible from above, no farmers, no food, help. And that's a tweet from Radio Genova. Between Groningen, Netherlands, and Lear, Germany, Farmers simply moved the German border to the west to lay claim to less restrictive German nitrogen rules. And there's a German tweet with some images. Thursday evening, farmers blockaded the city of Nijmegen. Uh, Radio Geneva again tweeted, The sound of freedom, Nijmegen invaded by Dutch farmers and truckers. 16-year-old Duke Hospice from Akram in Friesland, Netherlands, who had been shot up by police at a roadblock in Heerenveen Tuesday evening, posted on Facebook. I'd like to thank everyone for their messages and support, as well well for the protests all over Friesland. Unfortunately, I didn't know about all the support when I was in jail, but I found out what had been going on in the Netherlands when I was released at 9.30pm Wednesday. I still can't understand why the police shot at me. The videos show very clearly I did nothing wrong. I'm lucky I'm still alive. I was pretty scared. I was arrested for attempted manslaughter and then released. I'm still a suspect, though tonight in my bed we will keep up the fight, one for all and all for one. Then Duke described what happened on the evening of July 5th. We were protesting at a food distribution centre in the Here and Bean industrial zone when the mobile police unit announced they would clear the premises. So we decided to leave. We drove our tractors through Here and Bean and parked by the ice rink. It was a nice place to grab a meal and something to drink. Then we decided to drive around through Here and Bean, make some noise and then go home. Our protest convoy was just leaving here in Veen. The point vehicle drove up the Orange Wood on-ramp toward the McDonald's when squad cars cut off the way. Many of the tractors just went around them. There were just a few tractors left in front of me. I was almost the last, so I wanted to follow the others. So I crossed the divider, being careful to watch for oncoming traffic to make sure I could change lanes. That's when I heard a bang in my right ear. I was just thinking, what's going on? And heard a high-pitched whine in my ear. In panic, I wanted to get out of there when a second shot fell. I was unhurt, so I thought it may have been a rubber bullet which ricocheted. We stopped near Udahask, and I walked around the tractor and saw a bullet hole in the metal post. I was stunned. Just an inch either way, and I would have been toast. If I had driven a little faster or slower, I wouldn't be here to talk about it. A few hundred metres onward, the police came and arrested me for attempted manslaughter. I was handcuffed and thrown in jail at the station. I don't recall much else after that from all the adrenaline. It was a shock, but I'm glad to be alive. I want to know why they shot at me, Duke told NOS.NL. He showed off the bullet holes in his tractor with his father, Jan Hospice. And again, a um, tweet from New Judicial this time. Uh, shoot to kill boy 16. Dutch farmers speak out. Angry farmers dump silage bales outside the house of the police officer who is said to have fired the shots. And There's a, a tweet uh, shown about that. The officer was removed to an undisclosed location Wednesday evening. Speaking to Tucker Carlson Thursday evening, Dutch activist Ida Wladinger called on Americans to support the Dutch farmers. And she tweeted, The Dutch farmers have had enough and are courageously fighting back against the Great Reset. They deserve your full support. They certainly have mine. It's very simple. No farmers, no food. Forum for Democracy MP Gideon van Meeren confronted Dutch Prime Minister Mark Root over his ties to the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab in August 2021. And again, a tweet, this this time from K2. Last August, Dutch MP Gideon van Meeren pressed Dutch Prime Minister Mark Root on his relationship with Klaus Schwab and his book The Great Reset. So that brings us to the end of that article. And yes, we can see, um, you know, the same playbook playing out. If you remember, the Netherlands police were extremely violent towards the COVID-19 vaccine protesters, um, setting the police dogs on people who were peacefully protesting. So it's not surprising that they're following the same uh, strategies with the Protesting farmers. A quick mention of some other news. Um, Biden is being criticized um, for selling oil from the emergency reserves to Chinese gas giant tied to his scandal plagued son. Um, Reuters revealed that more than 5 million barrels of oil from the nation's strategic petroleum reserves was sent overseas as part of President Joe Biden's latest release initiated in March. Some of that oil went to India, some to the Netherlands, and some was was sent to China, where the president's son has engaged in years of potentially criminal business activity embroiling the Biden White House in scandal since the 2020 campaign. So we've got the... Um, emergency oil reserves being seriously depleted meanwhile Biden has gone back to Saudi Arabia to beg for them to produce more oil absolutely crazy and of course the um, the armament stores are being depleted by sending all these different arms to Ukraine uh, as a lot as well as even more money it was announced another 400 million. In um, military support was going to the Ukraine, and people are actually saying this to deplete the store, the reserves. Like this is actually treasonous, and they're calling for his impeachment. But of course, while the um, Democrats are in control of the House, that is hardly likely to happen. Another bombshell from last week is uh, one of the. Um, intelligence service people who signed onto the letter that said that hunter biden's laptop was russian disinformation uh he has openly confessed to rigging the 2020 election for joe biden and says the they would all do it again so we've got uh tre- treason again in plain sight of rigging an election Um, The good news is the Wisconsin Supreme Court has ruled that absentee ballot boxes are illegal under state law. And now the Maricopa County Republican Committee have voted unanimously to reject the fraudulent 2020 election results. So I think we're seeing great progress in terms of overturning the 2020 election. So let's just keep our fingers crossed on this one that it continues um, to make the dominoes fall to getting Trump back in office. I have said time and again, you know, keep your eye on the prize. Don't be discouraged at the length of time this is taking because it's such a monumental task to take down the deep state globally. We can see the fact that it's global now with all the parallels across all these different countries that are controlled by uh, politicians, installed by the deep state, um, who have all been indoctrinated by the WEF and sold their soul to the devil. But they're all being exposed. And finally, before I finish, um, there is some encouraging news. This is from Starseed Astrology. Um, I've been a fan of this astrologer, For quite some time, I've shared reports from him before uh, because he's very much in touch with the astrology of the um, politics. And he even did a report on the astrology of Q, which was interesting. He had to take that down to avoid being censored. He He writes, as of July 4th, 2022, the USA has a new astrological design over it as the US national return has recently occurred. The chart below depicts the specifics of this new design which features Jupiter, Chiron and Mars in Aries in the second house of the National Return Chart. I've highlighted these placements in particular because to me they represent a great regeneration of economic and military power that I believe will commence next spring. I also see themes of a high-level power struggle with the US military command structure that will eventually result in a divine outcome for the nation, its defense and our strategic interests. Jupiter is positioned in such a way that I interpret divine intervention and corrective action against our economic crisis and our secret military crisis. As our national solar return has just recently begun, we have a ways to go to experience the best of the Aries energy that has been sealed into our future. I think that we'll see the fireworks that we're seeking just after the turn of spring. It should be understood that the second house governs the national economy when looking at a national chart. With Jupiter representing divine intervention, grace and growth, we can look forward in confidence to tide turning events that set the US national economy on a positive new trajectory next spring. And because Aries governs the military, we can also expect God to get intimately and powerfully involved with active forms of crisis within the U.S. total force. There is more to this chart that I will update at future times. For now, this is the intel. Patriotically, astrologer stroke veteran Salvador Russo, otherwise known as Sal, so that's encouraging. I know we're thinking, oh, no, we've got to wait till spring. But if you think about it, that will coincide with what we're expecting in terms of a red tsunami in the midterm. So, you know, if the Republicans um, regain the House and the Senate, then all of the things that um, Biden has put in place along with his administration could be reversed and, and get us back on track to be uh, a MAGA nation again instead of a, a great reset nation. So um, encouraging. we just got to keep patient, remain patient as this plays out. But this is the Great Awakening, and I do believe we're making very good progress as demonstrated by these, um, <laughs> I'll use the pun again, monumental events that have happened this week. So that's all I have time for. Just a reminder, you can find me at The Success Alchemist, The Web Alchemist and Empowered Manifestation. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next Saturday. Thank you to Nancy for producing and to Derek Condit of mysticalwares.com for being the sponsor of Cosmic Reality Radio, which makes all this possible. So I encourage you to visit mysticalwares.com and look at the vast range of crystals and huge um, selection of shungite products and other metaphysical products. So, until next time, stay well, be safe, and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw updating current reality. A production of CosmicReality.com